0: Hey everyone and welcome to this special soapbox edition of the Risky Business Podcast. My name's Patrick Gray. These soapbox editions of the show are entirely sponsored. That means everyone you hear in one of these episodes paid to be here. And yeah, today we are speaking with Yubico's Chief Solutions Officer, Jared Chong. And this is a soapbox we do every year with Yubico. And the idea is just to check in and find out what's happening in the world of, I guess, hardware security keys. Because Yubico, of course, is the maker of the YubiKey security device. I own more than one and you should too, especially since WebAuthN is starting to pop up everywhere. So yes, if you don't have one already, go out, get yourself a Yubikey. So yeah, in this chat with Jared, we cover a few things, Uh, the zero trust executive order, hardware backed web transactions, but I'm gonna drop you in here where Jared explains that the industry leading the charge on security keys and WebAuthN and all of that sort of stuff right now is actually the cryptocurrency space, which when you think about it, makes a lot of sense. Uh, the surprising part, I guess, is that uh, that industry is investing so heavily in this technology that they're starting to hoover up some of the best talent away from the traditional IIM vendors. Anyway, here's Jared Chong talking about all of that. I hope you enjoy it. So cryptocurrency
1: companies are you know, the new hotness in finance. And one of the things that you get when you're new is that you don't have a lot of baggage, legacy, infrastructure.
0: Everything's so green fields, kinda, fields, right? Everything's yeah. green fields. So yeah.
1: you, you're gonna you're gonna want to implement the best technology period, right? And look, all financial institutions want to protect their users from fraud. That's like, you know, that's been the test of time. But they have a unique opportunity. Cryptocurrency companies have a unique opportunity to redesign the experience without sacrificing both security or usability. So they really mm-hmm. place an emphasis for security and usability side by side and when you do that there are very few technology stacks that you can implement sort of out of the box that really creates this experience and obviously you know we, we work with FIDO U2F but now it's FIDO 2 and WebAuthn and that's really the latest and greatest so if they can implement that technology stack they just run ahead they just they just one up against everything else and the reality is that they need to protect their users.
0: Well, I mean, but you just said right, and this is interesting. You just said all financial institutions want to protect their customers from fraud, but I guess when you're dealing with you know uh, uh, old old style banking and old style currencies, there's a lot of like mitigations you can put in place right to make people extracting money from the financial system kind of hard. Whereas with, you know, blockchain based stuff, like if someone gets the account, steals the currency, it's just gone. There's no clawing it back. It's 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 just gone. gone.
1: Exactly. And and the way I look at it is that most of the, you know, existing financial institutions, they've got all these risk engine going for them. We've been building this for many, many years. In fact, some of them are decades Whereas the new style is just like, you have a very, you have a front door and you kind of really need to lock your front door with the best security ever. Because if you, if you got to the account and you've got to the identity, you've got everything. Yeah. So there's no, there's no reversing back to say, so, you know, like, uh, you know, I'll I'll do these other compensating controls. That isn't too much. I mean, I think they're trying to build it out, but they got to really strengthen the front door. And we've seen so many account takeovers in this space right now, right? And, and people lose, what, millions and millions of dollars. So they have to take this very seriously because their entire livelihood depends on it. Yeah, we've,
0: we've seen, um, you know, SIM swap attacks being very popular against the accounts of cryptocurrency exchanges and things great. like that.
1: Great. And, and that is, you know, that's how all financial institutions in some regards implement an MFA. And just that's not good enough. And the attacks just get, I guess, just better. And I had a conversation with one of my colleagues earlier, which was like, you know, don't, don't say it's so hard. It's like, it's, it's, you know, the bar is lowered every day as we as every day as we kind of work as cybersecurity practitioners. We need to understand that the bar is lower and lower for anyone to take advantage of all these tools and kits and everything like that. So we kind of assume that maybe it was kind of hard yesterday that tomorrow is going to be. Also oh, hard. It's actually getting easier, and so when it's easier, SIM swapping there's so many attacks on SMS. We just need as an industry to just recognize that it's just not good enough.
0: No, and I mean we've seen a lot of phishing. I mean, phishing for OTPs, like one-time password pass-through phishing kits, like they're just standard these days, right? Standard. And yeah, absolutely standard. So they're of limited value when I mean, you know, people often criticize SIM-based and OTP-based uh, MFA. But ultimately, if you're trying to stop, you know, cred stuffing, it's still a very good control. Uh, it's still a very good control against that. But yeah, it's 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 definitely starting to look creaky. Now, one thing you mentioned to me before we started recording, which I found very, very interesting, is because the crypto exchanges and that whole world have recognized how vital stuff like WebAuthin is to, to their, their businesses, um, they have embraced it. But that's also meant hiring a lot of people who are experts in this stuff. So it, 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 you were saying that a lot of the expertise now in web auth and, and extending it and finding new ways to use it, uh, a lot of that that talent has sort of been sucked into this into this cryptocurrency world, which is a bit of a thing to get used to. Is that right? Yes, we've definitely seen
1: it. I mean, we work with a lot of our IAM partners. We work with a lot of our MFA partners in the industry, and and we just kind of noticed this slow migration. Maybe now it's not just solo anymore. It's been accelerated. The technology is solid, and it's it's getting to be very mature. And so, if if existing IM vendors don't want to innovate as fast, then talent's going to be taken away from them, because the potential of implementing WebAuthn and FIDO two has enormous benefits in general. First of all, it's all already built in for majority of all modern devices today, and these individuals and teams want to push the envelope and so the cryptocurrency companies just allow them to really give them the full range of flexibility to bring this technology to the next level and at the end of the day if the user experience is going to be better and they get the security they want then it's good it's good business yeah i mean that
0: that was going to be my next question which is is this something that we should care about like as long as they're smart people doing smart work for the same outcomes, does it really matter who's writing their paycheck? You know, have they, I'm guessing that these companies realize that in order for this stuff to be um, as successful as possible, they need to be contributing to open standards, right?
1: Absolutely. I think that that entire industry is, is growing as well, maturing. And, you know, there's some regulations here and there, but it's, it's, it's coming. But the end game is if they've got a, if they implemented it well, it's going to stand the test of time. I feel like really the talent there is about evolving and implementing and then bringing the feedback back to the systems because honestly, any industry can benefit from the work that we are doing right now. And so it's important. It's important that they contribute back. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It's it's an interesting industry, say the, say the least.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, look, let's uh, turn our attention back to some more, um, you know, bread and butter InfoSec. One thing that uh, has happened since last time we spoke. I believe last time we had you on was about June last year. We, we, you know, for those uh, uh, who are just tuning in to the first one of these, this is something we do once a year, which is our annual check-in uh, with Yubico's uh, Jared Chong. And yeah, so one big thing that happened was the Executive Order 14028, uh, which was the so-called zero trust mandate. I can imagine that Yubico would be extremely happy about this because it it it's going to mandate MFA, and I'm guessing that for a lot of government CISOs, they're going to go for hardware security keys because they want something that's going to last a while. Um, what's your general feeling on the executive order? Do you think it goes far enough? Do you think it goes too far? Do you think uh, government CISOs will be successful in implementing it? Like, give it, share with us your thoughts, Mister Jared.
1: Yeah, it's about time. It's, it's, we've been talking about this for several years now. It's really the convergence from maturity of a technology and the ecosystem of just chaotic breaches and finally policy catching up, right? So public policy is really important for, for any industry. And when you have policy says that, you know, not, not all MFA are created equal, and that's, that's kind of be ahead of the game and then say you need phishing-resistant MFA into the policy, and then tell the directives of you know various agencies to go make it happen. So does it you actually really get...
0: does it actually specifically refer to phishing-resistant MFA?
1: Yes, it does. Which that's is, interesting. Which is really... I didn't know that. It, it right? is. I, yeah. yeah, it's it's really remarkable. I mean, this is the work that we've done with NIS back in 2016. Where uh, I'll give you another number. It's 863 three, and that's a Paper B, which is really about authentication guidelines, and it actually called out right about phishing-resistant MFA back in this guidance. And this is just the other side of it, which I is, mean, that is now, just a euphemism, do something about it.
0: That is just a euphemism for a hardware security key, I'd imagine, because what other phishing-resistant, you know, what other phishing-resistant MFA is there? Sometimes you're built
1: in, you're built in technologies into maybe a, a phone or a laptop, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know th- those are considered phishing resistant, but, you you know, there are other challenges by implementing the stack within the compute device as well. And sometimes you want them separate between the key storage and the compute device. But in general, yes, you have to buy sort of a newer, modern machine or phone to get that capabilities, and not all of them are certified to global standards.
0: So it's a a euphemism for U2F or or WebAuthn more so than the particular hardware that is being used.
1: Correct. And, and if you you have to obviously trust the lifecycle, how these things are made as well. The two elements of phishing resistance, so FIDO, WebAuthn are the newer ones, but smart cards have been phishing resistant for a while, right? Mm. So you know the YubiKey supports the, the PIF standard as well. It's a standard. And so being able to have both capabilities on YubiKey is actually pretty powerful because not everybody... May want to use one or the other. Sometimes government agencies are already using PKI. So they like, okay, well, I will I'll get to FIDO when I get to FIDO. So I don't want to start with PKI first. And so that flexibility allows agencies to just be able to adopt the technology where they are. And and that's the reality of this thing, which is we need to just embrace that not all MFAs are created equal. And we need to step up the game to implement MFAs that does matter and stop some of these. You know, I wouldn't even say advanced threats, but just growing threats in general. Yeah. So we see a lot of agencies just waiting, waiting, and waiting. And I think this mandate really says this EU really says, you know, just just get going. I mean, let's stop complaining, so to speak.
0: Yeah. Stop. Stop your whining and just do it. Uh, I think is what you're trying to say there. But it is interesting, right? Because we were talking earlier about SIM swaps and uh, you know one-time password pass-through style phishing. Uh, we have seen a new technique emerge more recently for MFA bypass. And it's one that it's like, why didn't anyone think to do this earlier? Uh, I think we first saw it uh, being used by an APT actor. And what they would do is just hammer a user with push notifications. If they were using, uh, you know, push MFA, they just hammer them with push notifications until eventually they get sick of pressing no. And they just (laughs) press yes you know, they press allow just to make it stop. I, I I'm guessing you've seen the news on this.
1: Yeah, this is just a different flavor of of either you're paying attention or you're not paying attention, you just want you just want to get to your email or whatever. You want to just be productive. You just want to get your work done. And so you either get annoyed or you don't even know. You know, so it's A or B. So the first the first sort of series of attacks was just like, Trying to sneak in a yes when the user generally is in office hours where they would likely hit a yes. And now it's like they're going to say yes because it's so annoying. So at the end of the day, I think that the attackers are just being human. Right? I think the weakness of any technology is that it must stand the test of human annoyance or stupidity. Yeah, yeah. And the te- if the technology can be circumvented because either the user is tired, annoyed, angry, or upset, then the technology has sort of failed. I think technology needs to work for the people, not the other way around.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think if I were an attacker trying to do some sort of MFA prompt fatigue attack against someone using a web WebAuthn device. I mean, it, the whole point of these hardware-based devices is that it's a two-way authentication, right? So, unless the attacker already has malware on your device, they can't really do the same thing, can they?
1: Correct. Yeah, and unless you've infected the device in a very, you know, compromised way and you've affected the browser and everything else in the OS and then you've got other problems, authentication is the least of problems if your yeah. entire computer's taken over. But yeah, I mean, webauthn there isn't such a technique. You can there's no push scenario in, in webauthn, so to speak. You, it's a, it's a two-way handshake, which is you need to initiate something and then the, the response come back and then you take action based on that signal. And in, in the case of a, a YubiKey, you know, it's flashing and then you do something about it. And if you were potentially maybe authenticating to the wrong thing, then the attack would never work because it would be, you can't reuse that challenge. It's, it's unique for that particular service that you're trying to get access to. So there's no way you can actually create that experience and also, there's there's also there's limit, there's rate limitations in terms of how fast this can work. So c- combine it, you know, it's a very slow attack, and it's very you have to time it really well. If you really manage to trick someone to touch the key, but even if you trick someone to touch the key, then did you actually initiate it? And so there's just, it's almost impossible to try to get this done. And of course, if you just hit the guy in the head and get this get the device then yeah all that's all anyway
0: <laughs> that's great you heard it here first jared is encouraging uh violence but uh yeah
1: <laughs> you know patrick I see you that, that fine because we actually have a, a set of users which do need to be super anonymous and have high privacy preserving sort of scenarios we work with a lot of various user groups sometimes they're journalists sometimes they are you know, special advocates. And they actually, we call the, you know, the, the ditch and, 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 and move on sort of scenario, you know, use and ditch scenario. So this is not actually that, that far off actually from a Fido, Fido 2 and Fido U2 f You can actually create an experience where you could literally ditch your device and no one would know it was you that used that device for that particular service. It's, it's pretty powerful from that perspective as well.
0: So I just, want to, I just want to circle back to, to Yubikey usage for a moment, right? Like when we last had you on, I think you mentioned that one of the major US banks was about to make Yubikeys available to its customers. It was Bank of America. I guess um, I'm curious to know, and I know it's only been something like six months, right? But what's the uptake been like? Uh, for Bank of America customers, like are they finding that it's a very small subset of their customers, or are they giving these things? So my bank, for example, uh, will only let you do certain things if you use like a USB bootable image uh, with a with an OTP generator, right? I, I'd imagine that you know there would be some paranoid customers who are gonna who are gonna do this, uh, and I'd imagine that they might be giving UBER keys to to people who are doing high value transactions. I'm just wondering how that's all progressing.
1: Yeah, we don't have a we don't have full insight to that uh, how the usage is. You know, banks are generally they they like to keep those things. Security is a very tight conversation with with a lot of their team members. What we can say is that they all all the banks do think in general about how they want to protect their most prized account base, which is generally high risk or high value, both of them A, a or B. and they. For a variety of different programs would introduce these type of special offerings to their customer base. And sometimes we're directly involved, sometimes we're not directly involved. Well, that was going to be my question,
0: right? Which is, do they recommend that, you know, do they tell the customers, oh, you need a security device, you can buy one from over here, or are they buying the devices from you and then giving them to the customers? Because if it's the second, then you would have some insight into how successful this is because they are ordering the devices from you.
1: Yeah, I would say that that's more common with the cryptocurrency companies working directly with Ubico. And you've seen a number of them on their website and and we have various programs in there. I think the the other banks they tend to kind of keep to themselves and work on programs outside, which is maybe they recommend things outside and go to our e com site. So that's very hard for us to really track.
0: Yeah. So you don't know. You just might see you, you know, know ten people we- buy YubiKeys for using and, and and want to use them with Bank, Bank of America, but you have no idea.
1: We have no idea. Yeah. A lot yeah. a lot of times we have no idea for, for most of these other organizations. But the ones that we do have some insights again are <laughs> the cryptocurrency companies. Again, part of it is as you mentioned, you know, they, they're trying to push the handle for these things. And and we know in general, you know, banks aside, that if you give more of a carrot, it, it makes a difference, right? So sometimes it's kind of like optional and we see uptick as optional as in. Not a lot, but when they have a care, if it's sort of a, it's, it's a, if you gamify, if you gamify security, it makes a huge difference. And I we've seen this so many times, which is make it interesting for both internal and external. Either you give them a carrot a ward, or water, whatever okay, it is. Okay, so, so what, are these, what are these Pretty carrots, funny.
0: right? Like what is it, how, and it, what's really funny here, right, is like last time we spoke, it's like, wow, Bank of America is moving in this direction. That's, you know, that's really cool. But now it's like, well, these cryptocurrency exchanges are taking this super seriously, working with you to get the the keys out there, right? So, so what's been, and, you know, maybe some of the banking CISOs or, you know, banking customer security types listening to this might be able to uh, pick off a few ideas from the cryptocurrency space like where how are they making these rollouts successful among those uh you know cryptocurrency exchanges and stuff
1: the first thing is really about thinking about the security key not as a security key the most important thing is to create the experience that you want which is about self-service empowerment right i i I want to take control of my account just like you know why did you choose a specific cryptocurrency company in the first place maybe they're very flexible the way that you trade your coins. Maybe you have, maybe you did buy into security, or maybe you just have a very good experience with the app or whatever. I would say that user experience is number one. I mean the way that these cryptocurrency companies really embrace security is put security as part of the experience. And don't give people to opt out to some extent. It's like this is the new experience, right? Sell the modern experience. And with it comes with this you know, whether it's YubiKey or everything else, it's just like it's part of it. And well, you don't, it does appeal, doesn't it? Have, right. Because it's a it's to like a... choose something else, which is really important. Like you, you make it's part of the daily experience and then you really elevate to like, you know, maybe, maybe they say, you know what, maybe your first couple of trades are free or whatever. Like th- those things make a big difference when you look at it as a, a financial reward. Because at the end of the day, if you have a more protected account, you're gonna have it's gonna cost less for for the company if you know less breaches. No, I get in that, general. I get
0: that, but you keep talking yeah. about this being part of the user experience. I mean, is that the sort of psychological aspect of like, well, I've got these you know uh, things, these the, the, these tokens of value that are rooted in in cryptography, and now I've got a hardware encryption device. It sort of becomes a whole you know sort of psychological. Oh, this is how it's done. Sort of vibe. Is that kind of how they're doing it?
1: Yes, that, that's definitely part of it, right? So in, to some extent, can you control when the SMS message is going to your phone? No, you can't. <laughs> and, and, and being able to take those very specific things to say, you know, I'm in control of my account because when I want to get into my account, I have to put this thing and make this thing work. And that has a huge impact to the way people think about their own personal lives.
0: It's about making people realize that this is an option. You get this thing and it's, there's the whole bunch of internet plumbing that makes it work, but you need this thing.
1: Exactly. And it's yeah. not easy to explain that to 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 everyday people.
0: Yeah. All right, so let's get into some company news, right? Because we actually are, uh, you know, you're one of the few vendors where people really want to know uh actually what you've what you've released, right? Uh you did release some new gizmos last year, uh, security key C NFC, I'm guessing that's a USB C key with an NFC as well, is that right?
1: That's correct. We made it blue as well. So the, well, that's there was important. a lot of demand for NFC and USB-C, and we were like, you know what? It deserves its own blue Okay, Okay, so go.
0: you can now get a blue <laughs> YubiKey with NFC uh, that plugs in via USB-C. Yeah, uh, exactly. And you've got a thing called a YubiKey Bio, which I'm guessing is the thumbprint one.
1: Yes, that's the fingerprint one. That's the, that's the Fido only edition, it only does Fido. The interesting thing about this device is the experience is rich from a perspective if it works. And the challenge that we still have is that the fingerprint technology as it pertains to all the services isn't as mature as we would like it to be. For, for example, some services just don't actually know how to process uh, ubiqui biometrics because they just haven't <laughs> built the right support for it. And it's, it's going to take a little bit more to get this. So that's FIDO only. That's
0: not, that's not WebAuthn ready yet no it is it
1: is uh, Well, we say fido and where about them we sit sort of interchangeably okay. but what we mean by that is uh, most of the sites are building what we call the second factor use case right so username password and then FIDO security yubikey right in the yubikey bio perspective it's like a mfa device so there's this there's this you have a thing which is a yubikey itself. And then you have the fingerprint, which is then your second factor on the device. Yeah. Okay. And so
0: it's, actually actually a yeah, it's a passwordless. Yeah. It's a passwordless, a passwordless flow. Yeah.
1: And so the reality is that passwordless flows are still evolving for 2022. It, it takes a while for oh, all the It's a big scary jump, right. man. People
0: don't want to jump off that cliff into passwordless <laughs> to, land. I
1: agree. Yeah. People don't want to jump off that cliff. And there's like a lot where of these I've these seen, where things. I've seen
0: passwordless really work well is, was actually a demo uh, that you guys did at one of the Vegas conferences a few years back. Uh, where, you know, uh, NFC Ubico uh, YubiKey on a lanyard, you know, used by retail workers and whatnot, yes. like that seemed like a pretty good use case. But I can understand why people offering customer-facing services don't want to roll passwordless because they're going to freak out their customers, basically.
1: They are going to freak out their customers. and You know, I think it's going to happen sooner or later. I think it just takes a while. From an enterprise perspective, that's very controlled, right? Like like you, Like you mentioned, a uh, retail, you know, it's part of their company asset and systems. They can control everything. Mm. But when it's like free for all and it's just consumer services, it's it's pretty scary. So most services are like they kind of hold back a little bit because it's a big jump. Because you know, when you forget your passwords, you call in and says, "I kind of forget my password." Right? If you have no passwords, what do you do as your recovery?
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah. Right? you you have to go I don't know in many situations now we're tying back to uh, remote ID proofing and things like that, which is a whole other set of challenges uh, yeah. that you've got overcome. Yeah, it makes my head hurt.
0: I mean, honestly, man, the reason I, that I have a YubiKey is mostly for that account recovery piece. You know, it stays in a Ziploc bag. I, I rarely even see it. In fact, I should probably look for it after I finish this interview <laughs> because I don't know where it is and that could be bad. Now, some other sort of Yubico, uh, you know, company-related news, apparently Salesforce and Google and YouTube are requiring uh, MFA for users and they are recommending security keys. Is that right?
1: Yes, I think we start to see that industry is really going to the new terminology, which is MFA by default, which is great. I mean, we've been talking about this for a while, which is MFA is only great if you adopt it. And if you always give it an option to opt out, then people will opt out. So going in full force, which is MFA is required to use the service is really the right direction that industry needs to go.
0: Now, uh, you did speak to us, I think it was last year, but it could have been even the year before about the UB Enterprise Delivery Service. Uh, that's now in 49 countries, right? So what is this delivery? So this is basically just a very simple logistics service where you send Uber keys directly to a user. And I think this was like a COVID era thing, right? Because there might not be someone in the office to actually go to the drawer and pull out a Uber key and stick it in an envelope for a remote user. That's about the long and short of it, isn't it?
1: It is. I wouldn't say it's easy to shift to more countries. I would say it's actually harder to ship to more countries. Generally, no, no, no. IT company, most IT companies don't want to have an IT department that ships stuff in general if they don't have to, right? I mean, maybe you get a bigger ones that ship laptops and stuff, which is fine. But no business is going to sign up says I'm going to give more work to my IT team to go ship keys. So I think this is an oper- operational. Enhancements for these teams to say, I've implemented MFA. I need to get MFA to these users. How do I get these YubiKeys to end users? Well, let's let's use Ubico's services to get it there. I think it's I think it's end situation. Some customers customers do it themselves. Some customers depend on their partners, and this is just a one other option. At the end of the day, if if a user is not using a YubiKey, everybody loses.
0: All sure. right. So, final thing we're going to talk about is what's on the uh, horizon. What's coming up? Uh, do you have any new goodies planned that you can talk about here? Uh, you know, any new major developments in standards, or you know, what's what's the next twelve months going to look like from a Ubico perspective?
1: Oh, that's always a lot of question, Patrick. It's every time you ask me the same question every year. You know, this year one of the things that is really exciting that we're starting to see is is web payments. So, one of the things that the web payment group the W3C, which is so the web between sheets obviously have the WebAuthn standard, is the web payments want to leverage the baseline of what we created for WebAuthn as a scheme to be able to use that to do payments. Why? Because at the end of the day, if you can authenticate the user to sign on to an account, you can use that same logic to say, I know the user, so why can't they pay and do transactions because I know who the user is. And especially if I authenticated the user to the bank already, of course the user is from the bank. So why can't they do the transaction? So a, that's a really interesting way to look Hang at Hang on, payments. let's talk
0: about that flow a little bit more, right? Because you're talking about web payments, which most people yep. would associate that with stuff like PayPal or with credit card transactions, et cetera, right? So Correct. what's the flow that you're talking about here? Like, What, what are these web authen enabled web transactions actually look like?
1: Yeah, so instead, you know, so you go through a number of flow, but in, in most cases, you you have, you know, the the, the, the payment providers, right? Like you mentioned, PayPal, things like that. Sometimes that exists, but sometimes you have a bank. I mean, at the end of the day, you are probably getting a credit card from the bank that you, you, is next to you. And if you can authenticate to the bank, then you can actually do transaction confirmation with the bank, Right. So now that you logged in, then you're like, you know, if I want to make a payment, well, tap your security key. Yeah. And instead of authenticating, you are processing a transaction. And, you know, that's there's some work obviously needs to be done with the browsers, but what... So, so hang on, would that include
0: thing. authenticating to your bank to allow the transaction and authorize? Yeah, it? I mean, there's
1: a, there's, there's a few things, right? That you, you, you need to have some of that uh, federation pieces and things like that work as well. There, there are a few components of that. But essentially, we're using an authentication flow to instead of authenticate using it to sign and you're using it to sign a transaction essentially. Yeah. And and you know if if, if it goes well, the, the browsers would take care of all those things for you, which is you don't have to build other third party whatever connectors and things like that. The browser should say if you're gonna use the web time, uh, sorry, the web payment flow, it would just pop up, just like you see today with security keys pop up to say, you know, whatever
0: on Chrome or you press go and then it pops up and says, you know, tap your key to confirm that you're about to spend you know 132 dollars with for the know, nike or for whatever the sun, yeah. right yeah yeah
1: for the site exactly so the plumbing's all there it's just making it work end-to-end with the payment flow obviously has more things because it's regulated industry and all all the other nice things that comes with it but it's a very promising technology because again uh, the number of times that we go through different web flows to pay something is it's kind of ridiculous right I think, I think we can do better as an industry with some standardization. So this is an opportunity for us to standardize a little bit more and be more secure as
0: well. Yeah, well, I reckon that one's gonna take you a little while uh, to get over the line. It
1: will get, it will be a little while, but at least there are movement there and and, and there's a lot of motivation from a number of different, you know, both from the payment industry, uh, browser industry, you know, authenticated vendors and all, all above. So there's there's some motivation there.
0: All right. Well, Jared Chong, thank you so much for joining us on your annual soapbox with uh, Risky Business to talk about all things Yubico and Yubikey. It's been my pleasure.
1: Thank you very much, Patrick.
0: That was Jared Chong of Yubico there with his once a year check-in on Risky Business. Big thanks to him for that. And big thanks to Yubico for doing one of these once a year. I'll be back in a couple of days with more security news and analysis. But until then, I've been Patrick Gray. Thanks for listening.